You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Welcome to this episode of the British GT Fan Show, fueled by TCF Sportscars. For all the latest on the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship and more. Coming up in this episode, we've got the latest news as well as our take on last weekend's action at Donington Park. We also take a look ahead to the next round at Brands Hatch and of course is our guide to the circuit. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith and Andrew Brightman and Gaz Jacobs of the British GT fans. So kicking things off on GT4, uh, currently last place in the team standings, we've got Academy Motorsport. Now they raced with the number 61 Ford Mustang GT4 over the weekend with Matt Cowley and Jordan Albert driving. Yeah, I think... I think the Mustang was was a bit more like its old self uh, this time. I mean, the conditions were were challenging. Visibility wasn't fantastic. I mean, it was perfectly safe, uh, but it wasn't fantastic. There was a fair bit of water hanging around, uh, and I know that we've not got where we was where we were standing. We've not got racing tires shifting a lot of water, um, but my boots are still drying out from that event. So, I mean. It was it was pretty soggy um, from the spectator areas, but fourth place in the endurance race is it's a fair result. Uh, the two TS Sport cars and the Speedworks Toyota were were quicker than them in the two hour race, but it was a it was a race that favoured a front engine rear wheel drive car. Um, everything everything mid engine finished further down. I was fairly impressed by them in the first race. The second race, they didn't do quite so well. Um, we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, sixth place in the one-hour sprint race. But that was a race of pure strategy um, with regards to tyres and how you manage those tyres. And I'm guessing a big grunty V8 up the front probably didn't do wonderful things for the uh, Pirellis attached to the back end of the car. The second race, obviously, they started on the wets where obviously two of the cars that finished ahead of them were the two of the people that pulled the master stroke off and started on, um, started on slicks. So that could have affected their results slightly. Um, so they could have probably had two fourths if they the slick trick. See, I was under the impression that all of the GT4 cars started on wets. That's what came out in the commentary. Um, Balf went in uh, before the race started, and then so did the fifty, the one the race winning HHC, uh, which was number yeah. There were there, there were there were two, seven, two cars um, that started in the pit lane as well on slicks. Yes, so so they they went straight to slicks. All the cars that were on the grid did wet. Yeah, yeah. I mean. 
it was a it was a judgment call. There was that that there there was a mixture up and down the field, and hindsight says, yeah, it'd have made for an interesting first couple of laps. But three laps in, the slicks were coming on song, and and anybody that was on wets was was looking at a difficult half an hour. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was more encouraging from from old Matt Nickel Jones's team there than 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 it was at the last round. It was a pretty solid middle of the um, uh, middle of the finish order performance, really, from it, from from the Mustang. I think um, starting on wets, you know, was maybe not the the correct choice in the in, overall, but um, you know, it's it's either the, the the rain is always is is the great equaliser, or the drivers are still trying to get used to that car. <laughs> I suppose it also depends on what car you're driving. Uh, as Andrew's just said, the two GT4 cars that started on slick tyres were both McLarens. What I've said about big grunty V8 doing bad things to rear tyres because wets burn out quicker in a dry condition, what would you rather have? Big grunty V8 wrecking your wets or big grunty V8 on slicks in a wet track, spitting you off into the scenery and ending your race on the first lap? That's where the drivers have to be, uh, have to, have to, have to, have to use the talent and, and control the car and switch the race boots for pink, fluffy bunny yeah. slippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, next up in the standings at fifth, we've got Century Motorsport now in the race at the weekend. They were in the number 43 BMW M4 with Ben Hurst and Andrew Corden Colebrook behind the wheel. Seemed to really struggle in the uh, wet this weekend. Um, from what I saw on my position on the exit of the last corner, they were all weekend in the wet and damp conditions. They just seemed nowhere. And um, considering this car was a championship winner a couple of years ago, it's um, I think it was probably a bit of a poor performance by them. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I completely agree. It's, you know, we, like you, watching, the, watching, the, watching the coverage back, you never saw them in any kind of battle for, for for position or anything like that again and it's as I say it's going to be that it's either damp conditions or the drivers are still trying to get used to that car I mean Andrew was driving it last year um, from what I remember I'm not so sure what Ben was I can't remember what Ben was driving last year or if he was in the Academy Astons last year ah there we go so um, you know it could be that the fact that you get again he's trying to get used to the car and the wet in the place to do that is it <laughs> I don't know what to don't know, don't know what to make of it. Sentry know how to put a car together. Ben and Andrew know how to pedal a car, but they were nowhere. First race, the only car they finished ahead didn't classify and was twenty two laps down, and it lost all of those twenty two laps at the start of the race. In the second race, as a slightly better, they actually finished ahead of two cars that managed to classify. One was again the, the the number nine, the two C's motorsport car, and the other one was a the team Abba racing car. But Richard had a torrid middle part of his stint and parked it early. So last last place of the finishers in in both races, really, it's it's not what you expect from Sentry, and it's not what you expect from these two guys. Okay, so moving on to fourth place, we've got Speedworks Motorsport, um, who were in the number 23 Toyota GR Supra with James Cowell and Sam Smelt at the wheel this time. First of all, 
Congratulations, Speedworks Motorsport. You have netted your first podium in British GT4 with the Toyota Supra because they finished the first race, the two-hour endurance encounter, in third place behind the two TF Sport cars. The first race, as we've said before, suited a front-engine rear-wheel drive car. Uh, the second race, they finished a bit further back. They were one, two, three, four, fourth place rather than so just off the podium. It's it's a good result. The car still looks strange, <laughs> but it it looked better suited at Donington Park. It looked like it fitted the circuit better. Um, that may just be me. It's another another. Race experience after Orn Park, they probably learned quite a lot with the first two races. So coming in here with two races behind them, just and then just probably helped the whole the whole situation. And the, as we said, the, the wet is a great leveler. I think that it's just the um, the success penalty for finish on the podium probably just cost them a bit for the second race. Yeah, it, solid front of their finishing order uh, performance from. From the Supra, um, and I think the the only thing, the only reason why they're in the, in the position that they're in on the on the start on the final standings after Donington is the fact that they are only running one car along along with Balf. You know, the only other two teams above um, are GF and HHC, and they're both running two. So, you know, they should be a, they should probably be a little bit higher than what they are, especially after TF's performance this weekend. But we'll get to that. In a bit. Of course. There is, as as you say, there is the the, the two car teams versus versus the one car team here. Um, but the thing that's really hurting them at the moment is the difficult Alton Park they had. It's, I mean, we've got the same number of rounds. We're one of the few championships that has the same number of rounds now as we had on the original calendar. Okay, we're not going to as many places, but but we do have the same number of rounds. But even even last year, you couldn't afford to drop a score. And the retirement in race two at Alton Park is going to haunt them right the way through the championship. Oh, absolutely. They they you know they'd, they'd be they'd have a, they'd, have, they'd be above Balfe probably, but um, now if uh, if they hadn't stopped in race two at Alton Park. Yeah, you, you you have to you have to have those consistent um, point scoring results to to get to to get the results that you want. Third in the standings is Balfe Motorsport in the number twenty one uh, McLaren five seventy S GT four, driven by Mia Fluitt and Ewan Hankey. Uh, another couple of good races for them. What do you think, guys? The first race is obviously being pro am behind all the silver silvers, so it's a uh, their performance is slightly less than the silver silver guys they had a seventh place finish in gt4 um second race is the inspired decision to come off the grid and go for slicks which sort of made their race because you and hanky went once he got those tires warmed up was flying he was going so quickly and i actually thought he won the race i was a bit i, I missed the 57 sneaking past so i'm not entirely sure when that happened but no it was a Pro Pro Am car to finish second is another good result for them. Absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, the I, I I thought I thought they took the race win again on uh, on 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 the second race. Um, 
I, as I said, I didn't, I didn't catch when the 57 went past him either. So, and I still know, even when watching the footage back today, I still didn't see it. <laughs> if I borrow a phrase from Gaz's his playbook here, Mr. Rattel's business model is pro-ams. And the results that we see here at the bottom in race one and at the top in race two is a symptom of the fact that it's a pro-am formula that's being dominated by Silver Cup entries. Because Mia is a good am, but she's not a silver, which means that she qualifies towards the back and she struggles to make progress through the pack. What she can do, and what she does very, very well, is once Ewan puts the car at the front, because he's the only pro on the grid, remember, Silver is still ranked as an amateur. Silver, Ewan puts the car to the front, Mia can drive a very wide 570S, and she can defend, but it's a lot easier for an amateur to defend against a pro than it is for an amateur to overtake a pro in the first place. Until we get a few more pro-ams into the GT4 field, we're going to continue to have this situation where Mia starts at the back and doesn't make any progress because, as I say, she's she, she's a bronze. Everybody else is a silver. I think I think we're going to get this in in, in GT4 for for a while. It seems to be used as a bit of a training ground for the younger silver talent, uh, especially those with with a slight amount of budget. Um, so. Um, you know, the fact that we've only got one program um, entry at the moment, you know, is a shame. But as I say, it, it, it seems to be a growing trend whereby G4 is is this training ground and what you, you what a team's going to do. They're going to say no to uh, a couple of drivers coming in with substantial amount of budget against uh, the, the possibility of someone turning up saying, oh, I'll race and I'll get a pro in as well with me. It's, it's not ideal. It's it's what it is what it is at the moment. Sure, Mia and uh, you and a body rip your arm off that you could tell them after the first four rounds to have a first and a second place finish already. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm not meaning to take away from anything that they've achieved because their results I mean, it's all the more because Mia is the only am in the field when Tajiwa aren't there. It's it's even more impressive that they are recording the results that they are. Um I just, I worry that the silver domination of GT4 is going to put off any AMs. I think we'll see a few more. I think we'd have seen a few more. Well, I think we, I think we know we'd have seen a few more. Original entry list was about half and half, so obviously it's <laughs> yeah. just so it would have been normal if it weren't for you yeah. know, that situation. So but again, it's 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 the fact that you know, on generally on a silver on a silver silver car, you got both drivers paying, not just one. So, because of, because these AMs are generally the people that own their own businesses and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, they are coming in. They're going out ah, right with biggest struggling, so I can't be going out spending spending money. Yeah, mm -hmm. some like the these these silver silver pairings, you know, they've they're also um they're not they're not the business owners are they? They're not they're not they're not, they're not the ones with the reputation going oh right well my employees aren't aren't, aren't able to fit put um. I was feed themselves, or I can't. It didn't. It didn't look good for me to go racing, but you know. Yeah, I it, mean, we've 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 covered this on quite 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 a few episodes. I'm not. I'm not 
saying that HHC and TF and Sentry are wrong because at the end of the day, Nathan and Tom and Charlie, they've got their own employees to look after. And if someone's coming to them saying, I've got a check for 50 grand, and somebody else is saying, I've got a check for 50 grand, and those two checks together make the 100 grand they need to run the car, then too right, you'll take the, 50, the 250 grand and make the budget you need to keep your guys in work and to keep your doors open. But it's, a, it's just in a, in a series that is proudly pro-am, it, I'm, I'm saddened that we're in a situation where the only pro-am can't compete in the first race each weekend. I was like, I think it's just, I think it's just coming out um, this year. I hope so. At the moment, yeah, because we did it. We had we had proams. You know, <laughs> we've, had, we've had proams winning before. We can have them again. Yeah, and we're going to win the same in GT3. Second in the standings is HHC Motorsport um, with two cars entered last weekend. So the 57 McLaren 570 S GT4 was driven by Chris Fessmail and Gus Bowers, and the 58 by Patrick Matheson and Jordan Collard. This is something we probably could have discussed as well a bit in 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 Bound Motorsport, but the conditions that the cars faced in the two-hour race showed the a how advanced the McLaren is, and and b its Achilles heel, because for a GT4 car it's very aero-dependent, which means if you're not reaching the speeds that you should be, you're not getting the aero grip. Whereas the the front engine rear wheel drive the the big grunty cars the the Aston the Toyota the Mustang are more mechanical grip than than aero grip, which meant that in the wet conditions they were finding the grip and they were going faster. Come the second race, um, then when the conditions improved, of course the aerodynamics. Uh, started to come back towards the four, and you could see it watching the coverage and watching it, watching it trackside. The big grunty cars would power out of the corner, but the cars are more sleek on the straights. They just they pick up and they go because they're they're they're, they're not having to punch quite as big a hole in the air. And the fact that the first race was primarily wet conditions probably hindered them here, which is why the three McLarens finished at the back. Uh, of course, Chris Vesmel and Gus Bowers performed best of the two cars in both races. They took, um, that's going to be fifth place in in race one. And they took the win in race two. And they took the win recorded by a lap because of when the race leader uh, crossed the finish line. Um, obviously, all the other GT4 cars were behind it and one was just ahead. So they got gifted a free lap. But it was a strong performance given the given the circumstances. You you don't expect much different. The win in race two was just the inspired, inspired choice of um, select tyres, which um, sort of, say, let them sneak past the Balfe at some point. Um, the other one, the 58, I think, yeah, I remember starting on wets and that was without any... Um, Success penalties, which affected the two TF Sports and the um, Speedworks, 
it's probably the realistic finish position. That's where they finished. I think it's possibly a bit more impressive than the Speedworks managed to get the gap back down to just under six seconds, uh, given success seconds were served, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So heading up the table then in GT4, we've got TF Sport um, on 138.5 points. They had two cars entered over the weekend. The number 95 Aston Martin Vantage AMR GT4, driven by Patrick Kibble and Connor O'Brien. And the number 97 with Jamie Caroline and Daniel Vaughan at the wheel. Brilliant first race for these two, uh, for TF Sport. Caroline and Vaughan, their car was keeping up with the Stuart Proctor GT3. McLaren 720S. Um, actually, at some point, it was actually nudging him coming out of the old hairpin to get him to go faster. Uh, I think his race was actually sort of slightly ruined by the uh, number six Ram Mercedes AMG. Um, it gave him a nudge coming down the old hairpin, which forced it through the gravel, which caused some rear end damage on its um, under tray. So Patrick Kibble and Conor O'Brien came out of the race winners for the second race, second race win of the season. Race two, it was just really the success penalties. Um, and obviously not starting on slicks, stopped them getting a higher finishing result. I don't think it was just damage the under tray. It was the whole, it was that rear diffuser on, on the back of the Aston that was hanging off from where I was stood. Um, it was causing them to slide around all over the place. They were losing all kinds of grip from from that damage. Um, you know that I I, 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 I said that being a pretty heavy significant um, cause of why of why of why they weren't getting the, the speed that they did. I would be surprised if it was just the diffuser uh, that was damaged. I think there might have been geometry damage at the back. And um, what's telling me that, and we'll come to it later on, I'm sure. But there was actually some fairly significant damage to the front of the Mercedes. Um, and given how hefty those Mercedes are, they take one serious whack before they start showing damage. Um, so if 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 Mr. Loggy has managed to has managed to do what he's done to the front of that car, there, and the only thing he's hit is an Aston Martin, then the Probably more damage under the Aston Martin than the bumpers. But you'd have noticed that it was there was no particular damage to the to the front right of that car. Yeah, except for the bonnet latch popped essentially, which is which is why the bonnet was which was why the, the well the engine cover so sorry so so uh, was coming up. Yeah, um, I couldn't see any properly significant damage. Right, normally if you if you if you gave something a hefty, a hefty whack, you could see the the, the wheel arch disappearing and stuff like that. I think it won't. I I wouldn't. I'd be very very surprised if it wasn't just a bonnet catch. Or maybe it probably, I think it looked worse than what it was. More likely. I mean, no doubt you probably you probably right on. Maybe knocked a bit of tracking out on on the back of that uh, on the back of the Aston Martin. I mean, these are these are road based cars. Yeah. Um. And the downside to using a road-based car for a racing situation is that road-based cars are designed to transmit these knocks and bumps. So you you hit a bollard at the back of the car with enough speed in the car park, and you'll notice a crinkle in the bonnet because it, it diverts that energy around the passenger cell. And it's very easy to take a 
medium-sized knock at the back, which affects things further down the car because of the way that the energy transfers around the vehicle to protect. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, um, you know. we, we won't know without speaking to the guys at TF Sport whether they did have to, you know, line that thing up, get 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 the string out, string it up, and and redo the tracking at the back end because it's yeah. been knocked out of whack by. But it did look a bit of a handful. As I say, um, I mean, I mean, from from where from where I was stood, they were sliding around. I mean, really sliding around. I mean, and that the was first really, the was, first stint, they were out for a long time as well. They were keeping yeah. it out. I think they were hoping to bring to do slicks for the second stint. They were out for a long time, and with the slight damage on the rear diffuser, made the situation look a lot worse than it probably actually was. Yeah, it was a wet track. It, I mean, every everyone was sliding around. Mm. They were sliding around even more. <laughs> this is. I mean, the first time we've we, we've mentioned that because it was mainly GT3 cars that weren't very long. But I was amazed by how far those cars were going on one tank of, on one tank of the old motion motion. It's. I, I was sitting there thinking they're going to run out of petrol. They're going to run out of petrol, and they didn't. They just kept on pounding round. I thought that GT4s could go f- longer than GT3s generally, but I might be wrong. I can't remember. I, I, think, I think I think I think a GT4 will probably do it about an hour on a on a tank, whereas a GT3 will probably do about 45, 50 minutes. Well, we know they can do an hour on a tank because we don't refuel during the one-hour sprint races. Yeah, but I didn't realize I didn't realize that they had basically half a race in reserve because I mean, again, jumping ahead, but the seventy-eight car did. An hour and twenty, an hour and twenty-five minutes on a single tank. So amazing. The other thing that I was going to say is, I've said before that those cars are very bright. Those cars, I mean, all the GT4 cars were difficult for me photographically because of the yellow headlights. But when I was processing the photos, and I took two thousand photos in a two-hour race, crazy. Um, but when I was pressing the photos, the brightness of the yellow of that car was throwing out the white balance so far on these photos. They're an absolute pig to process. Um, so, Tom, can you can you tone it down next time you livery those cars for me? <laughs> I'm Angus Fender. I'm a McLaren GT3 driver for Two Seas Motorsport, and you're listening to the British GT Fans Show. Moving on to the GT3 standings, uh, at the bottom in 11th place, we've got AF Corsa UK. Now, they were there at the weekend in the number 51 Ferrari 488 GT3 with Duncan Cameron and Matt Griffin driving. These guys had a torrid time, didn't they? They just seemed to be something wrong with the car all weekend, I think. Um, they didn't feature very much in, in either race, um, except to be like a... a something in the background of someone was overtaking it or um as I say it just didn't seem to have a thing about it at all in my opinion it's unfortunate you know that Ferrari should be doing a lot more couldn't tell you if it's drivers confidence in the wet or it's it's uh, something more fundamental with the car yeah, I, I don't know what was what was wrong with it, really. It just, I suppose it's the same as with the McLarens in GT4, in that it's 
more aerodynamically advanced. It relies a lot more on its aero than, say, some of the other GT3 cars. And therefore, when it couldn't hit the speeds that it needed to to make the aero work, it was more heavily affected by the fact that there was low, low traction. But it just... It was at the track, but it wasn't at the races, is all I can say about it. Something fundamentally more than aero, because the McLaren... 720s looks much more aero than the Ferrari. It's just, um, it's just the, so far their season's just not been very good at all. Considering when they were back in 2017, they were challenging for race wins occasionally. This new Evo Ferrari, I'm guessing the BOP is probably not great for it. I'm, I wouldn't suspect, I wouldn't suspect me if they suddenly get a BOP um, increase when they next appear. Yeah, these aren't these 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 aren't bad drivers. The Duncan Cameron and, and Matt Griffin race together in uh, European Le Mans series. Uh, you know where where they're up, where they're up against much faster cars and and, and stuff like that. But you know they just and and AF Course UK is just AF Course essentially. As far as I can understand it, they were all Italians. Um, you know this this car should should be quicker. Doesn't matter if it's wet or not. It should have been quicker. It wasn't, I, you know. It, we need. We it could be, could be discussed to the end of the days. I think. I mean, as to why without you know official um, word from the team, you know, it could, it could be all kinds of things. I mean, it is a new, a new car. It's an Evo car, isn't it? So perhaps the team are just getting to grips with it. There's not been a lot of chance to run GT3 cars recently, whereas I mean, the car that they're running in. In ELMS is GTE spec, so it could have been that the team's just not got their head around the new car yet. But it's AF course. They, they, you might as well just say it's run by Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not a brand new team, AF course UK. It's AF course. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to find a reason that's going to give us hope they're going to get better. Oh, I, I, I have no doubt they're going to get better. Absolutely no doubt. Yeah, they they should they should they should be mid table. I I I would say, yeah. I mean, it's the nicest possible way. They couldn't do much worse. No. Yeah, no, I'll agree with that completely. In tenth in the GT three standings is JMH Auto, but they were not present at the weekend. So we'll move on to ninth place, which was Bath Motorsport. Uh, new entry into GT three for them in the thirty six. McLaren 720S GT3 driven by Stuart Proctor and Joe Osborne. It took Stuart a long time to get to grips with the car in the conditions. But it was his first GT3 race having moved up out of pure McLaren. So, I mean, we know from talking to Mia last episode, the logical step from pure is to go into British GT4. He's jumped up a whole level. Um... And there's there's going to be a, a a learning curve there that needs to be taken into account. Joe Osborne, however, was amazing in that car, uh, which was why it started on the pole for the second race, and it did pretty darn well in the second race. So nice to see the car. It looks it looks different. It's, I mean, despite the fact we've we've got more McLarens and Woking. Um, it stood out. Um, and once Stuart got to grips with it, the car was going pretty, 
uh, pr pretty well. If it had been a dry weekend, Stuart would have been much more confident because I think most of the testing he's done has been in dry. I think it was a, chucked in a deep end, literally, when it started raining. If you, if you got an am that's not confident in, in the wet, then you definitely want an, a pro that's to, supremely confident in the car, and that's exactly what they got with Joe Osborne, a McLaren development driver. So, you know, they, the, results, the results they got just show, you know, the talent they got in the car. I mean, they were mid, mid to mid mid table. I mean, but then in the first race, but then they got you know, um, right um up to the top in onto the podium even. Sorry, in uh, in race two, left Stuart in the car a long time in the first race, which I think was just to help him get experience with the damn conditions, which they, I think they were expecting for race two. Yeah, I can see this. I can I can I can see his car getting better. Yeah, you know, give us give us a dry weekend, and uh, and I think I think as you say, we'll, they'll 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 start they'll start getting they'll they'll start um getting the getting the positions they deserve. They needed to leave Stuart in the car for as long as they could in that two-hour race, because if he can learn to control that car in those conditions, he can learn to control that 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 that, that car in pretty much any conditions. I mean, they're not a full season entry. They've not got a title to look at. He's a man that's paying the bills, so he takes as much track time as he wants anyway. I mean, it made sense to leave him out there for 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 as long as either he could handle it or the car had petrol. Randomly, being being this a part season entry, it has scored points. But because they've taken over Sean Balfe's entry, uh, they managed to score points. Yeah, so it's uh, probably a, a full season entry that's just not turning up for some round. Whereas rather rather than being a round by round entry, there's different ways to enter and different entry fees that are paid, and some entry fees attract points and some don't. It is a shame though if, if, that when Sean does show up, he won't be able to score points though. Unless he takes the entry, unless he puts the 36 on the side of the 22 and runs at the 36 on a round where Stewart isn't racing, at which point it's the same entry, just different drivers and all score points. Depends what Stewart's paid for. So in eighth place in the GT3 standings, we've got Team Abba Racing, um, who had the number eight, of course, at the weekend, the Mercedes-AMG GT3, with Richard and Sam Neary driving. First race was reasonably okay, and a decent sort of sixth position for them. I don't think Sam probably hasn't driven the car that much in the wet. In saying that, though, in a second race, when he was the fastest Mercedes on the circuit, I think by the time we put on the um, slick tyres, he was he was having a right old go, and he was challenging one of the works Ram cars, and which is obviously the Evo spec, which technically is actually a fast around the lap. He was going really good. Unfortunately, Mr. Neary Sr. Um, spent most of his afternoon, second part of his race, just looking at the scenery. Yeah, he he, he did find himself looking back up the circuit, didn't he, every, um, a few times. I think it was, I think it was like three times in th four laps he spun, including, yeah, including wow. a nice big one down Craner's. Oh yeah, right past me. Yeah, Sam. Sam had Sam had uh, had an outstanding stint in that second race, didn't he? He, he? he was he was going he was going great guns. Didn't he set the fastest lap in the first race as well? I know I know I know I know, I know he was I know he was fast. Yeah. So as I say, it's it's one of these cars. I think they could I, I, they will see better from them, but obviously the, the rain the damp conditions stopped. Stop them! Stop them from getting the points that they really needed. No, um, 
Barwell Motorsport took the fastest lap on the final lap of of race one. But uh, look at look at the best laps, and Sam was. He was he was he was top four on best laps in 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 the wet race, and we say Richard spent a lot of time looking at the scenery. There was one point I can't remember if it was in the first or second race, but he held a monster of a slide at Redgate. I looked at that and thought, "Oh, here he goes. He's going round," and he saved it. And okay, he lost the place, but he saved it and he went off in pursuit. I also did say in the previous episode that Donington Park would be more sympathetic to the older Mercedes. And I'm going to say it because I don't get much op- much chance to say it on this show. I was right. Okay, so next up in the standings, we've got Team Parker Racing. And they were in the 66 Bentley Continental GT3, driven by Nick Jones and Scott Malvin. First race is a typical Bentley racing in wet. It's just um, not not a great car um but then the second race team parker and scott's decision to start on slicks was inspired and um him and joe osborne in the um balf mclaren having a great battle at the front once they got the tires warmed up they were going hammer and tongs for it and um nick once he got in the car just continued what scott the lead that scott built up and then just took it home and for their first race win and Parker's first win in GT3 since 2017. And obviously, it's uh, their Nick and Scott's first GT3 win. Yeah, the, the car feature didn't feature at all in the first race, did it? Um, you know, even once Scott got in. But then the second race, Scott took off. It was it was one of his inspired choices. He started on the slicks. Um, held the, was it the outside line? the dry line yeah the outside line and just you know see you later boys i'm going i'm going here and you can stay all be all, all stay behind me so um you know congratulations to them you know they 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 deserve they deserve that win after 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 that nick did try to scare me towards the end of his about th- about five laps to go coming to goddard he decided to outbreak himself and run wide and i thought for a minute he was going to hit the barrier but he managed that when it hit the national circuit bit of tarmac, it gripped and he went going again. But I was thinking, oh no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, because I would have to write a report if I had to. It's a shame the car doesn't go so well in the wreck because it looks absolutely stunning, and and really that's the only thing that I can say that the other two haven't. They knew the car was bad in the wet, and then when they had a chance to run it on slicks, they knew they had. Uh, um, that, that they could roll the dice and hopefully take something from it. And they rolled the dice and they took something from it and it paid off. The second race was was the way that British GT should be fought. It was the pro goes out and builds the lead and then the am goes out and tries to hold it. The other thing that probably helped Parker and Scott and Nick was um, BOP adjustments made for this weekend on the silver-silver pairings. All the silver-silver McLarens had 50 kilos of weight added and the, the silver Mercs had 30 kilos of weight added. Um, so that sort of pegged them back a bit, including the longer pit stops they have to deal with. So that even helped Parker even more in that second race. Are you saying that the two Cs and the Optimum McLarens were 75 kilos heavier than the Balfour car? 
bloody hell. But uh, that's that's a lot. That's putting another body in the passenger seat. Well, another body providing it isn't me. I could see a lot of more of these McLarens coming soon. They're fast cars. Seems the the BRP adjustments seem to have worked. Obviously, the weather helped probably ring back their advantage a bit. Um, in the dry, they seem to be going okay. We'll see what happens when we get the brands hatch on how if there's any more adjustments made or see how they get on with that. So sixth in the standings, we've got Jensen Team Rocket RJN, and they, of course, were in the number two McLaren 720S GT3 with Michael O'Brien and James Baldwin driving. It was the one that got away for these guys. They entered the uh, event leading the championship and they left it five places down. It just didn't look as sorted as it did at Alton Park, and that could be the weather conditions. but. It's not going to be car set up. Bob Neville knows how to set up a car. And the Team Rocket side of the operation have been running mid-rear cars in Europe for, for, for a fair while as well. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that James Baldwin, um, obviously he's not done much wet running, especially not in a car that power. And um, it might be a bit more different to a sim than, do it, than running in the dryers. Yeah, I think that I think the 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 rain and the BOP were the main factors in in why this car wasn't where it, where we would expect it to be considering its performance at Alton Park. Um, but certainly James's uh, inexperience in the wet. Um, he was, I wouldn't say letting people buy, but he, he I, I don't think he was confident enough. I don't think he was confident going into some corners um, uh, during some portions of the races. We actually spoke to them on the Saturday, wasn't it, Gaz? Yeah, it was, yeah. And we sort of spoke to both of them, and this is James's very first time of driving his car in the wet. I don't think Michael's had much experience of the car in the wet either. But considering that the first 45 minutes of the race, they were actually, Michael was actually leading the first race. He just made a little mistake coming out of coppice, I believe, which was missed by the cameras, but I think it was picked up by the commentators, um, that let the car behind him passed, which he then started slipping back further from there. Second race, obviously starting on the wet wasn't again. I think it's just that wet slick thing didn't help the situation for them in the second race. Let's say are they uh, listening to James on his social media. He said they learnt a lot, and so going forward, if they have a wet race again, they know what and what to try and what to do and things to learn from and go from there. I don't think there's a doubt. These these guys will come back. Okay. In fifth place, we've got Optima Motorsport. And at the weekend, we've got the number 96 McLaren 720S GT3 with Lewis Proctor and Ollie Wilkinson. It wasn't this car's finest hour. Um, race one in particular. Um, it seemed to be a bit of a bit of a handful. Now I got out to coppice just in just in time. The first shot I took from the outside of coppice was I'm assuming Ollie Wilkinson throwing gravel up from the gravel trap on the outside. So he spun it there uh, in the tail end of the race. Now if he pitted fairly early, he'd done forty, forty-five minutes on a set of wet tires on a drying track. Uh, with the extra weight, that would explain the bad handling, which then put him off. Um, but it was it was a bit underwhelming. 
the second race, stronger result, 12 points, which is going to be fourth place. Um, but as I say, the one that got away for these guys. Definitely a team I think should be doing better, but the the BOP adjustment for the McLarens probably hurt them quite a bit. And again, I'm going to have to just mention the, <laughs> the fact that it was slightly damp. Um, Certainly that spin at Coppice didn't help the situation. No, but it did make for a nice photo. Oh, probably undoubtedly, but... So fourth place in the rankings is WPI Motorsport. And they were here at the weekend in the number 18 Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo, driven by Michael Igo and Andrea Caldarelli. This is a bit more like it from these guys, isn't it? Up the front of the race results on race one. They got they got what they they absolutely deserve. Um, you know, they 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 proved last year they know how to sit up a car. And uh having uh, Andrea Caldarelli sent over from well Actually, I say sent over from Italy. He lives in London. So uh, just sent up the M1 a little bit by Lamborghini to drive for them. They actually got what, what they've been working for. Well done to them. Race two, slightly more, slightly, slightly disappointing. I think um, the, the race two good positions were based on the, the pro qualifying times. Um, Andrea was probably still getting used to Donington Park at the time. So coming back from that from that starting position on the grid um, wasn't going to be easy, um, you know. So solid seventh place, got them some points. Overall, I think it was a a fairly decent uh, weekend for the team. First race was definitely, I would probably say, Michael Igo's best performance so far. They started a bit further back than they probably would have liked, but he made up five positions and he was flying in those wet conditions um, before handing over to Caldarelli. Caldarelli got the phone call, I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday, asking if he wanted to drive because Dennis Lind was suddenly unavailable. So he, t- he took the chance to come up and got a fine for not having a patch in the right spot, as I've discovered this <laughs> evening. <laughs> um, second race, they did start on the slick tyres. Um, obviously, success penalty from the first race knocked him back an extra 20 seconds in the pits. And Michael Igo did have a small spin at the chicane. Um, obviously, trying to get restarted probably cost him a bit more time. So, technically, they probably could have finished you know, look at the times, probably could have probably finished possibly fourth or even fifth. So, um, again, getting their first win. Um, typically, they've only been running the car for like technically in seasons a year and a bit um, was very, very good for them. And we sort of suggested they might have some decent results and they definitely got theirs already. In terms of round numbers, the race they won was that car's first birthday because they debuted the Lamborghini at round three last year. They ran the Porsche at rounds one and two. Andrea Caldarelli, despite the fact, as you say, living in London, had never raced Donington Park before. To the uh, to, to the point that on Saturday evening, after qualifying, Andrea went to fellow factory driver from Lamborghini, Phil Keane, to ask for tips about how to handle the chicane because he couldn't get the chicane right. I'm guessing Phil Keane is regretting giving quite so much information to Andrea Caldarelli because, as I say, come the first race. There wasn't anybody that could touch him. He was carving seconds out of everybody, left, right, and centre. It was 
astonishing. Michael Igo's drive was, I agree with you, his best drive yet. And I'd say it's possibly the best drive that I've seen in British GT for a few years, actually, from an amp. Um, because he went when he needed to go. He didn't go when there was risk. He judged it perfectly. And it paid off. And it's the team's first overall victory in the in the championship. I'm sure Michael is absolutely chuffed. Andrea is probably speaking to Squadra Corsa saying, when can I play again? <laughs> because uh, I'm sure he probably wants to go at that circuit in the dry now. In third place in the championship are Two Seas Motorsport. Uh, we had two cars entered at the weekend. Number nine, McLaren 720S GT3 with Angus Fender and Dean McDonald behind the wheel. And the number 10 uh, with Jordan Witt and Jack Mitchell. Not the greatest weekend for these guys. This team is the example of why if you're going to enter British GT, you need to do it with two cars. Because if they were a one-car team, or there were more two-car teams out there, then they would be right down after Donington Park. It was an absolutely shocking weekend. The number nine car problem really started in warm-up. Uh, they took the term far too literally and came into the pits with smoke. Um, then there was flame. Then there was fire extinguisher, and the damage kept them in the pits for the better part, better part of 20 laps of the race. So they were on a hiding to nothing from the start. The number 10 car was also late out of the pits. It didn't make the um the start of the race and started a few laps down in the in the first race. Um just as with the number 96 the Optimum car, I was at the right place at the right time. I've got two photos of McLaren's kicking up gravel as they enter gravel traps. Uh the number 10 doing it a coppice. In the second race, I mean the number nine car's problems just continued. Dean McDonald did a very good impression of a ballet dancer on the grass at Old Hairpin. Uh, on slick tyres, on wet grass, he had to be helped by the Mighty Army in Orange to get going again. And thank you very much to the marshals that, that kept everything running without the need to recourse to the safety car apart from, from the start of the endurance race. Um, so thank you very much for that. We had some nice, nice long sessions of green. But it was mechanical problems combined with, with poor execution in places. The team was showing its youth to me. And hopefully they're going to get better. Because I still say those cars are some of the best looking GT cars I've seen in a long time. It was a torrid weekend for the number nine. Um, you know, catching fire uh, on, on, during the, during the warm-up session. And... Uh, didn't help, and uh, the the problems for the number ten uh, kept it back slightly. Um, but although I would say a seventh place finish in the in race one uh, proves that, that that car probably should have been higher if it had taken the start of the race uh, as, as as scheduled. Um, race two a little bit better for them, a third a third place finish. So you know, nice 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 points haul. Certainly, the number ten car should be further up, uh, in my opinion, and uh, and the number nine. Well, it's just a weekend to forget for them. Absolutely, it really is. I, I feel I feel sorry for them. I'm not sure what Jordan Witt was doing in the uh, 
first race. I know he started from the pits, but I think he spun about three or four times. He seemed to be going every which way, but actually around the circuit in various laps. Um, again, they only drove the car for the first time before Walton Park, so they're not driven it in the wet yet. And I th they spent most of Saturday doing various things, not facing the right way. That's with both cars, and I think it's just, yeah, as we said, it's just not the greatest weekend for them. But I have to say, their pit setup is amazing. I've never seen a team turn up with like the pit setup they got. They got it's 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 all looks like a Formula One pit lane. It's amazing. Second spot in the standings, we've got Ram Racing. And they were, of course, in the number six Mercedes AMG GT3, driven by Ian Loggie and Yelma Berman, and also the 69 Mercedes with Sam DeHaan and Patrick Jala. Great first race uh, for for Ram, scoring second and third. Both, well, all their drivers putting uh, brilliant stints in. Race two, though, a completely different matter. Eighth and 11th. The the first stint for Patrick uh, didn't go particularly well in the number 69. And, and Ian Loggy, uh, I believe, had a few spins during his stint, uh, which dropped him down the order quite a fair way. I expect these guys to to bounce back um, in, in, in coming rounds. Race one, fantastic for them. Race two, they, I, I, th I feel sure they'd rather forget it. I remember in race one that it was it was the uh, the number six was doing serious battle with number seventy two. They were basically tied together by a very very short pair of shoelaces for about two hours flat. It was great to watch, and they were well rewarded for their for their efforts. I say race two, like you say, combination of success seconds and possibly tire choice. They just, they just weren't at the party, really. Um, I expect them to bounce back at, at Brands Hatch, no matter what the conditions. Just a, an, an aberrant weekend for this for, for this two car team. They they made the best of a bad bad race in that at least one of the cars managed to nab some points, which is why they're second in the championship and other cars aren't. So top of the standings after Donington Park, we've got Barwell Motorsport, who, of course, were there in the numbers 72 and 78 Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evos, the 72 driven by Adam Ballen and Phil Keane, and the 78 Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell. Right, I'm going to get in here first. I've got one thing to say here. Rob Collard is a goddamned energizer bunny because he went for ages in the first race. Discuss. Yeah, that 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 stint in the first race. Um, I almost thought there was a radio issue. Uh, he went out for, for that long. My concerns about him coming across from the BTCC are turning out to be completely unfounded. Um, he uh, he actually he actually seems to want to race and uh, and 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 not make not make tons of contact. I think even he realizes that potentially he's I won't say wasted time in the BTCC, but not used it as effectively as he can. 
because I've twice heard him now saying that he should have made this movie years ago. Yeah, I, I was about to say I, I heard an interview with him saying he wish he did he wish he'd done it a few years ago. You know, a, a, four, a fourth and a fifth place in in race one, solid points haul, uh, and then a second and a sixth in race two, even better points haul. And uh, Adam Balon and Phil Keener, a sharp end of the field where you expect to find where you expect to find them. Good weekend for good weekend for Barwell, um, and I feel sure they'll. They'll, they'll they'll hope to carry on that form. The first race, did the 78 cost themselves a higher position by Rob staying out too long, hoping it would dry so Sandy can go on slick tyres? Undoubtedly, it did. Unfortunately, they committed to the to the strategy of waiting for, for slicks. And they got to the point where they had no choice then but to run until they had either no fuel left or no rubber left on the tyres before they brought him in, in the hopes of slick conditions. Because it was the only way they were going to make back the damage they'd done waiting that long. Yeah, Sunday didn't have the best of the best of races um, in the second half of that, that two-hour race. Everyone, you'd have thought that if he'd had newer tyres, he would be, he'd be a lot better. But, um, you know, he was giving up place after place after play. Well, giving up, you know. He was, he, he was trying to defend for, as best he could, but you know, he, he, it was something that what just wasn't just wasn't right. I, I think, and uh, and he just got passed by top four finishers. They could they could have they could have put him in earlier. Would he still have the same issues? Maybe. Don't know. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, they rolled the dice and it didn't pay off. So either that or there was a radio problem and he didn't hear them calling him in. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I, I didn't see anyone with pit boards out, so. About to say, I had the best view of the pit wall uh, from my position. There was no, they, they would have used a pit wall to go in, in, in. So there's there no issue there. Let's draw the review section to a close. Then, what are your, what are each of your top moments from the weekend? I'll say top moment. It didn't actually happen in the race. Was Joe Osborne hooning it to the grid before race two? He had the traction control off, slick tires on the car. He was trying to warm them things up. He thought he was Ken Block. It was f- phenomenal to watch. Yeah, the, the the TV footage picked him up out of Melbourne Hairpin. And I was like, hang on a minute, have I switched to Formula Drift? Because it, he looked like he was having a heck of a lot of fun. Um, for me, the moment has got to be... It's It's got to be when Andrea Caldarelli caught and passed and it was more than a moment because it's about a lap and a lap and a bit that he he just laid in wait waiting for the right time and then he pounced and went on to take wpi's first win you just taken mine there <laughs> well you did yeah. that with the nord schleifer to me in episode two so pay that <laughs> i don't get mad i just get even um yeah Oh, okay, I'm. I'm gonna say exactly the same. Yeah, definitely. It was the it was the battle for first in in race one for me. Again, I knew I already knew the race result, and I was still on the edge of my sofa rewatching it. It was it was it was it was stunning. So yeah, definitely definitely the moment of the right, definitely the moment of the weekend. You caught you and caught on TV celebrating as well. Yes, I was. Yes. <laughs> Because yeah, I know I got a lost. I know I got a nice points haul from that. Thank you. I think Steph, obviously, Stefan Rattel was here this weekend, and um, I think he chose a good race to turn up at. 
Yeah, yeah. he did call it Silverstone, then re- then adjusted himself. See, you called it a battle for first. I'd call it more. A, I'd call it more a duel for first. And the reason I choose those words, a battle is something which plays out over time. A duel is usually finished with the first blow. And that's what Andrea did. He parried and parried and parried to get close. And then he saw the opening and he took it. He did it in one clean blow. And it was it was pretty astounding. Yes, but for those for, for those for those few laps, Kajala, you know, he made he made that Mercedes three four times as wide. Um, he, it, it was no. He, he wasn't he wasn't doing it half heartedly. He was putting all of his might into it. So, um, you know, I I, I would I, I I call every you know battle for position a battle. So, no, it's it was just a fantastic moment, yeah. and I reckon it's gonna it's gonna be in the British GT highlights for a few years to come. You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. Follow us on social media at BGTF Show. Don't forget to check out our partners, British GT fans on social media at Fans of British GT on Twitter and Instagram, and British GT fans on Facebook. So it's time now to look forward to the next round, which of course is Brands Hatch at the end of the month. What are we expecting in terms of the circuit, and who can we expect to do well here, and who are we hoping will improve? I would expect uh, to see. Hopeful. Well, I would hope to see Ram um, double down on their on their race one performance from Donington, uh and and get a couple more podiums at least. Um, I'd expect to see some of the uh, McLarens bounce back as well. Uh, in GT4, HHC, I could see them coming back a lot stronger. But definitely TF, I think we're also going to want to double down on there on from from Donington. I'm expecting TF Sports to get a BOP a BOP adjustment because so far, when it's a clear when it's just a normal standard race, they seem to have quite a big advantage. Considering it's the only two Aston Martins in the field, obviously they don't get adjusted back. There is one additional GT3 car we know we are getting for for Brands Hatch. Uh, which is uh, Andrew Howard in the Beach Dean AMR Aston Martin. Now, we've had no GT3 Aston Martin this year, which means it's unencumbered by any series-specific balance of performance. It's unencumbered by any success seconds. Andrew Howard has driven Brands Hatch many times and had success there many times. We don't know who he is sharing the car with, but he tends to draw from the Aston Martin pool of factory drivers. So if they have a spare factory driver to send him, then we can be pretty certain that there's going to be someone with with, with decent pace sharing the car with him. I think that could be a strong contender for, for the win, or at least a podium. In GT4, um, I know they're going to be encumbered by success seconds and things like that, but I would I'm be hoping, possibly more than expecting, a strong result, possibly even the car's first win 
for Speedworks and the Toyota. They're making steady progress. I, I think this, this this could continue. Basically, pretty much all the McLaren teams this weekend to have a better weekend. Um, as long as there's no reliability issues for two Cs, I expect them both be up there. If it's dry, Team Rocket, Jensen, Team Rocket, RJN, um, hopefully should be further up. And Optima have a clearer weekend. I can see them being further up. Um, we don't know which either WPI are going to be teaming with Michael Igo yet. So that'd be um, interesting to see which, which uh, Lamborghini driver gets given that weekend. So there's a good choice there. If I, if I were Michael, I'd be pushing for Andrea. Because I did say after Alton Park that Dennis didn't impress me. Andrea definitely did. I think they were. I think they were limited by the fact that they had an issue in qualifying, which an Alton Park is notoriously difficult to overtake on. And I think they just got stuck. There was no really way past. So, and Andrea also has experience of Brands Hatch because he's raced in GT World Challenger, hmm. so he can only get better from a circuit that he's not raced on. If not raced on at all, if if, 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 and if not at all, they're not for years. GT4, I'm expecting Century to have a much better weekend. Um, they seem to do, a few years ago, the Benmobile is up there challenging for the wins. Our weekend, I see them having a much better weekend. So as I was putting the episode together this morning to go out tonight, uh, we did see that British GT had released uh, their latest press announcement which is that the Beach Dean GT3 Aston Martin will be making a welcome return this weekend with Andrew Howard and Johnny Adam behind the wheel. Um, obviously, at such short notice, we couldn't get everyone together, but I've got Nick um, about and we're going to have a quick chat about it. Yeah, welcome news. The dream team back together in the Beach Dean Aston Martin. Uh, obviously, Andrew Howard, gifted gentleman driver, and Johnny Adam, uh, the man with which he won his two titles. Um, now, Johnny Adam only took one title in that time because of he had an incident in the mid-season. And at his suggestion at the start of the year, the rules were changed that so he got dot points. Um, so, um, yeah, he got dot the points on that one and therefore didn't win the title when Andrew did. But the next year, they, they took the title in 2015 and they're back for another go. But it's just a one-off event. So given the lineup that we've got uh, for the weekend, what do you think we can expect? We can expect fireworks from this car for certain, um, because it's a quick car. Uh, also the first time we've seen the GT3 Aston Martin in British GT this year. Andrew Howard is, as I say, a, a pretty sort of gentleman driver. Struggled a bit with the car last year, um, but another year in the car, obviously, we'll be getting used to it. Johnny Adam is quick as a bunny, no matter what you put him in. Um, so he should be pretty pretty swift from the off. Uh, the team say they've not had a massive amount of time for testing. They've done some simulator work, um, but very little testing. They're, they're grateful for the extra tests that they get on Friday um, as a result of the compressed season. But there's no success penalties on the car. They'll be going off last year's balance of performance, so the probably going to be playing it safe when they set the bop for the car as well. And it's a circuit which the Aston Martin's always gone pretty well. So this, this this could upset the Apple car. So we've already said that we're expecting this car to uh, potentially do quite well at the weekend. What do you think it's going to do in terms of the title? 
It all depends on how the entry was amended at the start of the year. See, there are cars that have been switched to a round-by-round entry, but remained as full-season paid entrants, and they're attracting points. Uh, The WPI car, for example, didn't turn up last time, but still sits in the points table. Then there are other cars that are turning up for a single round and are not attracting points because they're single round entries. Now, if Andrew Howard sat down at the start of the, well, the restart of the year, did the maths and said, well, I'm doing four rounds. The round by round entry fees are X. The full season entry fee is Y. I'm better off paying the full season entry fee because then I'm guaranteed a garage. Then he may have just left his full season entry in place. And if that is the case, then he will attract points, which means that if he wins, he's taking points off title protagonists. But would that have not shown him in the entry list that was re-released at the start of the season? He was mentioned in that entry list release as a round-by-round entrant, but he was at it. He had committed to do rounds at the start of the season. The other thing is, of course, then if they have taken their full season feedback and they're paying round by round they're not eligible for points so all that's going to do is confuse the living heck out of us for the rest of the year because we'll see a car on the timesheets for that round that is invisible as far as points are concerned and then if if that car comes second for example splitting the two barwell aston martin barwell aston martins (laughs) splitting the two barwell lamborghinis then the two Lamborghinis will score first and second points despite the fact of the car between them. So either way, it looks like we're in for quite an exciting weekend. And the other thing uh, that's worth mentioning that was in the article is the livery of the car this year. Why don't you tell us more about that, Nick? Yeah, for pretty much as long as I've been covering the championship, the Beechstein Aston Martin has been white and blue and featuring some form of cartoon. Scooby-Doo at first, then SpongeBob SquarePants. The new car came out and they changed the livery. Uh, White on the bottom, dark blue on the top with the Union flag into the sweep of the wheel arches. Looked absolutely fantastic. But when Beach Dean first started racing back in the days of the DBRS9, which is an absolutely beautiful car and sounds amazing, if you get the chance to see that at classic events, historic events, go because... The ground will shake. Um, but that car was running a dark navy in the wrong light. You, you might even think it was black, blue, with yellow highlights. The car appeared at Donington Park last year in the paddock for the British GT 300th race celebrations. It looked really, really good. And they're adapting that livery this year for the for the new car. And that livery is going to be racing at Brands Hatch. So if you are trackside, get your camera out because you won't get many chances to see that. Now, fans of the Scotsman shouldn't be celebrating massively here. I mean, it's good that we've got him back, uh, but it is only for one round. We'd rather have him for the rest of the season. Um, But, of course, he's got his commitments to Pro Drive and to Aston Martin Racing. So, as we've previously reported, Valentin Hasclough is going to drive at Snetterton. Um, and then when they race at the Silverstone 500, which ends the season this year, there'll be a different AMR factory driver in the car. But at the moment, we don't believe it's going to be Johnny. Hi, I'm Mia Fluitt, 
I'm a GT4 driver with Balf Motorsport and I'm happy to be joining the guys from British GT Fan Show. Please follow them on social media at BGTF Show. The next trip is out to Bruns Hatch. Now, Bruns Hatch is a bit further south than those of us up north have been used to um, and we are at the other side of London. So in terms of getting there, let's have a chat about best ways and what it's likely to be like other than snarled up on the M25, I'd imagine. The M25 doesn't get snarled up that badly anymore. Uh, a couple of years back, they took out the toll booths from the uh, Dartford Crossing and the, the QE2 Bridge. It is now all AMPR crossings. You need to either pay at the old Dart Charge website or set yourself up a Dart Charge account and, and put some credit on in advance. If you don't do that, you will get a fine from TFL for not paying for the crossing. Um, but it tends to flow pretty freely. It, it snarls up instead heading to the tunnel on your, on your way out because I mean, you're still filtering down into lanes there, whereas you're not coming the other way. Coming from, from us, it's I prefer to do it straight down the A1. I find it a less stressful drive. And then across the M11 and down that way. Um, but the Birmingham side will probably run straight down the M40. Uh, to Heathrow and go the other way around, so not paying the toll. It's just off centre at the bottom, so it's not a massive increase to go around past Heathrow, but you'll hit more traffic that way. Andrew's going to tell us now how to do it from east of England. I guess go down the M11 to the M25. Looking at the map, it looks like you're only actually doing like two hands on the clock face. It's actually, from, from my area, it's actually a nice simple journey. It's just literally down. Um, for Robert, across the A14, down the M1, down the M11, jump on the M25. Um, timing is interesting because even though the toll booths have removed, uh, been removed the last couple of years, it still can build up typical M25, the junction or two before, depending on time. So anything between four and five, I still expect delays heading there. On the, oh, This is on a Friday, of course, because I'm, no, I'm normally head there on a Friday. Saturday mornings, you should be all right. Or Sunday mornings, you should be okay. The choke point is, is Dartford now. If you're going straight through, stick to the two outside lanes and it should flow fairly freely. It's queuing up at 30.31. And it's, I hate to say it because I'm it's blaming my people, but it's mainly the lorries that are going into Tilbury that cause the tailbacks. So if you were planning to head down from... Sheffield, North Midlands-ish. How long does the journey take? How long should you leave? And how much should you account for traffic? And what time should you aim to arrive? Well, again, you're going to want to give yourself some time to get out to where you go on a view. There is a fair walk in from, from the car park, all on tarmac road, so so no concerns about slippy sliding. Um, you're going to want to aim to get there at about 8 o'clock-ish to get yourself in position. I would... I mean, if I was going to be there at eight o'clock on Saturday morning, I would I would head down the night before from from, from up by us. You're looking, what, two, two and a half hours down to the 25 and then another hour and an hour and a bit further round. Um, so you're looking a good four hour run. So unless you fancy leave it leaving at four o'clock in the morning, um, you, you're going to want to knock it off the night before. Then you've also got to consider that you're going to be hitting Friday night rush hour traffic. So 
I'd leave five, five and a half hours to get there if you if you're doing it on the Friday. And how long would you say it takes you, Andrew? I've done it in just over an hour from Cambridge, Newmarket area. Um that was middle of the day, so it wasn't too bad. So I missed out on all the worst of the traffic around the M25 Dartford Crossing. You will find that a run through the new market and Cambridge area is going to be a lot quicker now that the new road's been opened up as well. Um, a lot of the bottlenecks around there have been lifted by the new straight-through road from the A14 at Huntingdon through to the A14 at Cambridge. So we've touched on what happens when we get there. How long, roughly, is the walk-in from the car park and what's it like in terms of accessibility? Public parking is right out the front of the venue. Uh, you're going to want to ignore the signs telling you to turn left uh, sort of halfway up the hill. You'll get to the top of the hill, you'll see the Brands Hatch sign and there's a hotel there. Turn left in there uh, or follow the signs into the into the public parking. Um, you're not going to be clogged up with teams and media because they park elsewhere in the venue. Uh, you'll be parking on grass. Um, last time I parked in public parking there was for a rally it tipped it down and I'm glad that I parked right next to the tarmac because otherwise I wouldn't have got out but if it's dry it's going to be fairly firm standing and it will probably dry out quite nicely in the next couple of weeks uh, once you get to the gate it's tarmac all the way around to Druid so accessibility is pretty good there won't be infield access for the public um, this time because the infield is just the paddock um that's going to be locked off due to covid so you haven't got to worry about any steps um in a normal race meeting if you if you reduce mobility getting into the paddock is is, is quite a detour if you can't take stairs brands does also offer a parking inside within the circuit on the south bank it's a very large grass area on a slope so you have to be careful if it's a bit rainy because I've seen cars slide down this. It's been quite interesting to watch from various points. Um, it's £5 per day per car. So you can do that on the Saturday and on the Sunday. If you're going to get there on the Sunday, get there early because it if it's a nice weekend, that tends to fill up uh, pretty quickly because you've got a nice view across Cooper Strait. So down Graham Hill, Cooper Strait, and as they go around onto the Grand Prix circuit and you'll be able to see part of the start and finish straight. And if you get a good enough view, uh, Paddock, Hill, Paddock Hill as well. Yeah, and of course, Druids, which is where every time British GTs race there, at least one car's ended up in the tyres. Okay, so moving on to uh, kind of being around the track then, what are the top three views for watching and your top three places to take photos? I've only expected once from Brands Action. That was a long time ago when IndyCar came across. I was on the Indy circuit. Um, the obvious place to go is exit outside of Paddock Hill. That's where most people tend to head. Yes, you'll be shooting for a fence if you're doing photos, but with decent cameras nowadays, you tend to get away with shooting for a fence. And you can position yourself slightly above. You can go slightly further up the hill towards Druids as well. Obviously, there's a pinch point at the start of the race or the first laps. Again, it's normally a bit of action, but the cars, obviously, we get quite close to the cars. Further out on the Grand Prix circuit, I know they've been putting back, um, like fencing in, which has sort of limited a few of the famous spots for taking photos. 
but there is various places out there you can stand still without fences and get some shots of them on the Grand Prix loop. Um, before I start giving my places, I'm just going to point out that Andrew is quite right. Paddock Hill is a, is a good place to go. A lot of people do. If you're getting up towards the top of Paddock Hill, you're not just shooting through one fence, you're shooting through three layers of fence. There's catch fence and two layers of, of uh, wire link fence, which, if you're relying on autofocus, screws you up massively. Um, I, I really struggle shooting public side from there. Um, so if your autofocus is a bit old or you're, you're not that practice of shooting through fence, I'd, I'll go a little bit further down. Uh, so now my places, um, I do quite like the paddock hill shot, uh, who doesn't have brands hatch, but I'd do it from the other side of the track. If you go down paddock hill, slightly back up again towards Druids, just about level with the, uh, Hellwood's grandstand, there's a bridge that lets you into the inside of Druids. And if you walk back down as far as you can without crossing a fence towards Paddock Hill, you then get them coming the other way. Uh, we'll, we'll get them coming towards you from, from the other side so you can get the people in the background, the gravel trap and the signage. There's BMW sponsorship banners there as well. Adds a bit of depth to your photographs. Druids is a good place to shoot. Again, unless you're very lucky, there's one shooting window there. Um, so that's cut into the to the uh, catch fencing for you to, to get a clear shot through. But if you're going to wait there for a, for a go to use that, you'll be waiting for quite a while. Um, but Druids, if you, you can get close enough to the fence that with, with the right settings and a decent decent camera, it'll pretty much obscure the catch fencing and see through it. And you get them cresting Druids with the paddock hill in the background. is quite a nice photograph there. Now, Clearways outside is quite a nice shot, but the other one I'm going to suggest is from the outside of the circuit, follow it all the way around Druids and out towards the Grand Prix loop, across the next bridge you come to, and then follow the path that's pretty much in front of you through the forest and you come out at Stirlings, which is the left-hander before you head down straight into, into Clearways to finish off the lap. And they come through there with a decent turn of speed. They take some curves. The corner before it, which you can see from that location, is a bit of a tricky one. And you might see a few cars rotating there as well. But it's one of the few areas on the Grand Prix circuit you can get to in public areas to get shots of. So given that they don't use the Grand Prix circuit very often, I'd be getting out there to get my photos from there if I were you. So let's talk about facilities that are available at the circuit now. There are a choice of places to obtain food and drink on the the north side of the Brabham Strait. So across the racetrack from, from the main paddock, uh, there'll be a coffee shop, um, cakes and sandwiches and that sort of thing in a block. Just as you walk into the circuit, it's about halfway between the, the the main building on that side of the track and the the MSV building, which is a big glass thing as you walk in the gates. That's that's MSV head office. Um, you'll also be able to get your 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 merchandise in that block and and your programs down towards the outer paddock, uh, which of course will be closed off because of COVID. 
but there is the Kentagon, uh, which is one of the better breakfasts in British motorsport, I will be honest. Um, a pentagonal building, uh, but they can't call it the Pentagon, that's American. But it is in Kent, so they call it the Kentagon. Um, that opens, is it about 7 o'clock in the morning it opens, Andrew? Uh, I would say 8 for that, because we're normally in there getting our breakfast served first, normally. Yes, yes. I I know you tend to queue up, but queue up, queue up behind a sea of orange when you're going in there for breakfast early in the morning. Please uh, say eight o'clock. Yeah, and then in the the base of the smaller grandstand, overlooking Paddock Hill, there's a, a sort of serving hatch type, burgers, hot dogs, chips, bottles of drink. Um, where where you can get stuff to eat from there. Toilets are all around the venue. Uh, signage will 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 point you in the right direction for those. So so plenty of facilities there for you. Uh, otherwise there'll be probably ice cream vans and that sort of thing dotted around if it's a nice day. Quite a few shops underneath the um, main buildings under the hospitality at top end of, uh, top end of the circuit. There's good amounts of merch um, shops. There's there normally is plenty of um of the mobile catering units of burgers and donuts and sweets and usual tricks you normally get these sort of things. Uh Kentigan obviously does breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's open quite late, does have a bar in it. So for those camping in the on site campsite, it is MSV. The prices are not the cheapest in the world. There is an on site cash point, but I'm gonna guess in there probably we can go in hopefully card only for most stuff you can buy yeah andrew was saying about the shops that are built into the bottom of the uh of the main hospitality building which overlooks the brabham strait um i mean there's one there unless you you've got very deep pockets don't go into it that's stand 21 now they are an official parallel apparel partner of british gt championship we do love their stuff but they do the race suits for most of the drivers in the championship, and if you've not got four figures, you can't afford. Um, but a couple of doors down, there's a there's a race simulator place, and then next door to that, there is a um, motorsport bric-a-brac, basically, but then all the team wear and some of the stuff that's sort of current Formula One stuff, but a lot of the stuff that's like a season or two old and and models, and there's there's intriguing things in there that you can go in and, and, and take a look at. And if you have the money, you can buy. And if not, you can look at and think, you know, I'll have that next year and then never be able to never, never get back there to get it for themselves. But it's, it's quite a nice place to sort of while away half an hour between the races. In the main areas, you'll find um, they tend to you run and display um, lots of like um, cars and, sort of performance supercars and bits and bobs and only displayed up there. I'm not entirely sure if they will be here because of the COVID. Uh, and also normally there's a exhibition area that tends to get a normally get a monster truck around there. There's normally a bit of a fun fair, but again, this is all possibilities because of the COVID situation. So fingers crossed it's all there to keep little people entertained or yourself entertained if you fancy having a go again chucked over a load of um, old cars that have been squashed by a monster truck. Of course, for the slightly older children among us, and you've just reminded me of this, there's a local theme park, there's a few of them around the country, called Digger World. 
and it's where you can go to play with the big JCBs and things like that. And they have a little static display there of of the little mini diggers that you can go hooker ducking with with a with a JCB. And it always appeals to the big kid in me. I'll, I'll have a go on one of them eventually. So, Andrew, you touched on the fact that there is camping available um, over the weekend. So let's talk about options for those who wish to stay over. Uh, what is around? Where's good? Any way you'd recommend? If we start off with the campsite, luckily for Brands Hatch, the on-site campsite is free to anybody with week week part weekend passes. It opens on the midday on the before the event and closes on midday after the event. So if you don't want to leave Sunday evening, you can stay till Monday. Get over your hangovers. Um, there is limited facilities of toilets and showers. Uh, you can take your car in, your bike in. Caramel homes are allowed in as well. And obviously, this is just a short walk um, from the main entrances to the circuit. You just drive up to the main entrance and they'll direct you towards the campsite. Right. Um, I've done Brands Hatch a few times. And I have stayed in the Holiday Inn just off the Dartford Crossing, which books up fairly early for, for big race weekends. But if you get in there um, fairly promptly, you can get a reasonably priced for that close to London room. And that comes with breakfast. Uh, across the motorway, there is uh, the Hotel Campanile. It's a French hotel chain. Um, I've stayed in there as well, uh, which has a bar and grill type attachment. Um, basic, reasonably priced, but uh, within sort of 15, 20 minutes drive of the circuit. Last time I went there, I stumbled across a place called Seven Hotel and Diner. It's about 25 minutes away from the venue. And it's an American-style rock and roll uh, way station diner with hot dogs, burgers, macaroni, cheese, and that sort of thing that also has hotel rooms. I found it very reasonably priced for, for, for the rooms, pretty comfortable, nice and secure. Food was a bit expensive, but it was. I, I enjoyed my stay there for for three nights, as I as I say. I travel down on Friday, so on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then drive back up on Monday. One thing to bear in mind: if you stay in any of the Thurrock hotels, obviously you're north of the um, Darfur Crossing, so you have to, especially if you're doing it all weekend, you can have to pay the dart charge both ways. So it's an extra five pound a day to have to budget for. So Please bear that in mind. You don't get in a fine at the end, which is £30 if you pay it quickly or 60 quid if you don't. Um, if you are with a bit of time first thing in the morning and you need and you want to cross and save yourself the toll, if you hit the bridge before 6am, then you don't pay the toll. Okay, so let's move on to food and stops for those who have either commuting or staying vaguely locally. Again, Nick, you've mentioned a couple of options that you explored on previous visits. Uh, where would you recommend to go for your evening meal? There's a few nice pubs in the villages surrounding. Uh, most of them do food. Um, I say I ate all three nights. I ate at Seven Hotel and Diner. Um, I say it was for one. I spent 15 quid a night. It wasn't cheap, but the food was pretty good. 
you'd be fairly smart to try and get a hotel that has breakfast with it because otherwise, I mean, you're looking at a tenner for breakfast, a tenner for lunch, 15 quid for dinner. It's it's very easy to burn through a lot of cash in a weekend at, uh, at Brands Hatch. Uh, if you don't mind traveling a little bit further, of course, you've then got all the London restaurants that, uh, I mean, get yourself up to, um, I've completely forgotten the name of the bloody place. <laughs> get yourself up to Sidcup area and get yourself on the, uh, on the, on the public transport system. You can go into London proper and you've got the, the, the restaurants in, in theater district and this, that and the other, but you will have to book in advance if you're not resident at a location at the moment because of COVID. At Brands, perhaps using the campsite or somewhere close, there is a little co-op in uh, West Kingsdown, which is just down the road from the main entrance. Next to that, you'll also find the King's Garden, which is a uh, Chinese stroke chippy. I have found previously at British GC meetings it has been closed. Hopefully, they're going to be open this weekend. And to finish up then, because quite a lot of people are going to have a fair journey um, to get to and from the circuit. Uh, where would you recommend for stops on the way? I mean, we said from Sheffield, we're talking a good four or five hours um, to get. So there's going to be a need to be a stop had, you know, even longer if you're coming from further north or over to the west. Um and even if you're just traveling a couple of hours, it's it's good to know where there is a stop. So where would you recommend it in that sense? Right. If you if you're following my route down from Sheffield, uh you're coming off at junction 19 of the M1, you're heading along the A14. Um, just as you get to the new road, and the the tip-off that you're getting close here is on the right hand side, there's a nice uh, almost like a, a posh car dealership, but with lots of tractors and combine harvesters outside, you can't miss it. Um, you come to the new road there and you follow the signs instead to go to Huntingdon rather than going down the new bit. And there is a service station area there, uh, BP petrol station, McDonald's. There's a, a chain pub restaurant there. And then there is Subway, Greg's, Starbucks, and another takeaway that I can't remember. I think it's Burger King. Might be, might, might be Burger King. That's a good place just over halfway to break from from sort of South Yorkshire area. If you're coming down the the other way from Birmingham, uh, you're coming down the M40, I'm actually going to recommend a motorway service area because three junctions up from the M25 on the 40 is Beaconsfield Services. Usual array of, of stuff in there, KFC, McDonald's. I think they've put in a... Uh, Nando's in there now as well, but they also have the UK Motor Network Motorway Network's first licensed pub. It's called the Hope and Champion, and it's a Weatherspoons, and it's high street prices. So you're not spending a fortune to feed the family in there, and Weatherspoons is is reasonable grub. If you're breaking on the way back up on Monday as well, it's going to be the 31st of August, so it will still be eat out to help out, and you get 50% off. I think it's worth pointing out, though, if you are looking to do that, it might be as well to possibly try and book in advance um, wherever you're looking to stop and just double check because the scheme's been incredibly successful in a lot of places um, and people looking for a meal out have really struggled to find some. 
if you're coming across from the east, um, sort of Southampton, Portsmouth area, around there, Fleet Services has Pizza Express now, which again will be on Eat Out to help out. Um, so you might want to sort of look ahead and book on that. Um, and if you're coming straight down the M1, as I suggested for people coming from the south of Donington Park, uh, Junction 16 of the M1, the Red Lion Truck Stop and Bar, decent food in there, not very expensive. Gets a little bit rowdy at night with all the truckers in there, but it, it's good food. Did you just say coming from the east for some for Southampton for Anzac? I did. I meant west. <laughs> <laughs> so. So that would I'm be thinking... southwest. I'm just thinking. Did he just say east? I'll wait until he stops before I mention it. <laughs> of course, if you are planning to attend at the weekend, you need to have bought your ticket in advance. Um, so don't forget to check on the website for the deadlines. So that about wraps up this episode of the British GT Fan Show. Don't forget to check out our interview with Tom Hornsby, which is also available through all good podcast providers, as well as our social media. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you keep up to date with the British GT Fan Show. And for the very latest news, check out our partners at TCF Sports Cars and the Checkered Flag. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website, www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media, at bgtfshow. The British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen creative and RPS-driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk